0: Welcome to Life's Closing Notes. Today, we're honored to introduce Karen Asconi, an advanced, certified Master of Wisdom and meditation teacher at David G. Meditation Academy. Karen's end-of-life doula training brings a unique blend of compassion and listening. Let's join our host, Josh Roybal, as they discuss Karen's role as an end-of-life doula.
1: What were the driving factors that led you to pursue a career as an end-of-life doula?
0: I come from a large extended family. Uh, Mom and dad had nine siblings each. And so I had many aunts and uncles, which was great as a kid. And at some point, they started to die. And so death became repetitive in our lives. And I went from being averse to it, not understanding the whole ritual thing, to becoming very curious as relatives that I was much closer to, started to make their transition. And then it was the death of my mom and dad, a month apart from each other, that really sent me toward this path. They died 20 years ago. Uh, We expected my mom to die. She was very, very ill. My father had underlying issues. We didn't realize that they were getting worse as well, because you can't judge a book by its cover, right? So my dad died first. That was a shock. And my mom died a month later after we had traveled back to New Jersey. And I was the healthcare proxy. I was in charge of their medical care. I was also in charge of their financial affairs and their estate. And I learned... It was on the job training for me, not knowing what to do, not listening to my intuition, but then listening to my intuition and uh, and then going through the whole massive grief process for them over a long period of time and wondering at some point, am I ever going to come out of this? And how am I going to come out of this? And I thought, you know, and other people Survived So I will too, at some point. So knowing that, you know and not forcing myself to stop grieving, all of that was very intuitive. had no idea. Until I started training, years later, about 10 years after they died in 2013, that I had moved to New York and decided that in addition to working, I wanted to do something in the volunteer area. So I chose hospice. I trained to become a hospice volunteer um, and then a vigil volunteer, and it was a complete fit. So it was experiencing and sitting with the deaths of my family that eventually had me create meaning. You know, this is now the meaning that I create for the deaths that I've had in my life and that expands out to friends and acquaintances. As
1: part of your work, you have to craft a very comfortable and secure environment for the family and for everyone around you. Could you tell us some of your methods for creating this atmosphere?
0: Most recently, I had someone that I was working with who has layers of disease and her body has been degenerating really rapidly. So she came to me because she wanted to die. She was not diagnosed as imminently dying. She had no diagnosis like that. She no longer wanted to be here. And she chose me because she certainly couldn't talk to her family or friends about that. They would have said, be quiet, whatever people say in response to that. Uh, but she knew that calling in an end-of-life doula, part of our job is to listen and allow the person to speak. Whatever it is that's true for them, and then allow them to create what the solutions are based on what I understand. They ask me questions and I respond. So I think the security and comfort begins with how you plant the seed in the beginning. It actually begins with the intention I set before I meet someone, whether it's virtually or it's in person. How do I clear my space? How do I become a hollow bone so that they can speak to me and I don't have ego? And my practice becomes, just listen. Listen and love. You know, those are the two words that I use in my head. Listen and love. Keep my heart open, keeps my mind open, and it allows me to be more compassionate.
1: So being a good listener, um, super important. Uh, One thing that I noticed when I was listening to you is the importance of not being a multitasker or or anything like that. You really need to shut everything out from your life, from your world. No phone calls. You can be there with that person completely and no distractions. Um, Absolutely.
0: Yeah, Yeah, that's a, a wonderful insight. And that's the key. You are talking to someone about a very sacred part of their life. You're talking to people who are frightened confused and they're looking to you for some guidance, support, how can I multitask? That's a disservice to the person. I mean, in any aspect of our lives, if you're having a conversation with someone, I mean, truthfully, it's important to be in the conversation with that person because if you're not, then you're somewhere else. You know, what's the point? So yeah, it's all, number one is listening. Number two is keeping yourself clear. And that's really important.
1: We already touched upon this a little bit. I wanted to find out if you could tell us a story illustrating the impact of your support during someone's final days.
0: Yeah. Um, this, the last family that I worked with, I think they will stay with so far. They are the ones who will stay with me for the rest of my days. I was called in and we had a Zoom meeting. It was one of the daughters and the mom who was very ill. She had been dealing with cancer from the time she was 30. It was, I think it was 37 years. She was going back and forth with cancer. Um, and the mom said to me, I'm looking for someone who can help release me to the universe. And I thought, Wow. You know, given my meditation background and my spiritual practices, I had never heard someone ask in that way. Not only that, she was an emergency room doctor for her whole life. So my, head, my brain flipped over because here was a person deep in the medical trench who also had this wonderful spiritual awareness about her life. And so we, we went from there and they, they saw, you know, the, the equipment that I have behind me. And we decided that, that my role in their life was going to be to meditate, to bring them into meditation spaces. And so because of our initial conversation, and this was in our first hour, um, I asked them if they had had the conversations they needed to have. And the reason I asked was because mom said, I'm ready. My life is complete. I love my daughters. I know they love me. I love my grandchildren. I know they love me. I love my grandsons. I'm complete. I'm ready to go. And so that initiated the questions of, is all your paperwork in place? Have you said everything you need to say to everyone in your life? Is there anybody you need to talk to? And so that, that's what I mean by like, If if the moment is there at the beginning, then I sail in with Uh with a gentleness and a kindness, and so I started. And she said, "I don't want you here all the time. I just want you here when I need you." So I said, "That's fine. Whenever you need me, you let me know, and I'll come." And that's what we did. So that the next meeting on Zoom, she said, "I want to live," which is not unusual. I'm complete. I want to go. I want to live. So. But we were in that space. And so it was great. I visited in person. It was the first in-person visit I made. All the others have been virtual. First in-person visit. And I did meditations with her, meditations with the daughter, and the aide that was there with her. And I guess two visits in, she was tired. She was just so tired. She brought a friend who was a yoga teacher in because she wanted to talk about the end. So we talked about chanting. We talked about ritual. Um, I asked her again if her paperwork was all in alignment. Um, I asked her, "What do you have plans? Do you have, like, what happens after you die? Do you want to be bathed? Do you want to be taken care of? Do you want everything to happen here? And she said, honestly, I would like my taxicab friend to drive me to the cemetery. She wanted nothing to do with the the big rituals. She wanted to be taken from her home to the cemetery. And then we talked about trains of burials. She wanted to be a tree. She wanted to have a tree planted on her if she was in the cemetery. So we got all of that out of the way. And she asked me, what was the most profound thing that had ever happened she was asking me questions as well so there was this beautiful Beautiful. almost symbiotic relationship that had developed we talked about that and i i gave them the name of a funeral director who does all kinds of alternative funeral preparations and really listens to people Um, and when she died when this woman died i felt love i felt total and complete love in the room and the mom had a smile on her face and everyone was remarking about the smile that was on her face. So watching the daughters dress her, watching everyone grieve together and the eldest daughter asked me to come in and do a ritual ceremony when they were ready. So I did that and that's what Brenda wanted. We had decided what chants were going to be used and then I did a meditation. And out of that, um, One of the friends has asked me to meditate with her. So I've been meditating with one of her friends since the middle of March. And we talk about Brenda. I've gotten to know her more now through her friend. And so making this connection and hearing from her how much I impacted her life and I reached out to the daughter to see how she was doing. And we had a little email back and forth. And even during that little ceremony, the daughter came to me and she thanked me and she said, I don't know how you do it. She said, I don't know. And, and I said, I don't know where it comes from either. That whole oh. vision of that ceremony in the home and knowing, cause that's another thing. It's about 150 years. it's not that long ago that we were having the rituals in the home. And then all of a sudden, the funeral business started to to bur It was burgeoning funeral business. People were whisked out of hospital rooms, whisked out of their homes, and then taken care of in some place where makeup was put on them. And not that that's necessarily a bad thing. But now to be able to say to people, you don't have to do that. You don't need that artificial stuff. You can also ask not to have makeup put on your your loved one. You can control that much. You have to know that in advance. Because if you're thrown into this, then all of the confusion takes hold of you. And we don't make rational decisions. We let everybody else take over. Watching that, watching the possibility, and being able to remember that. Because knowledge is in my head. But when I practice, it moves down into my body and in my heart, and it becomes me. So everyone that I've worked with becomes me. I read something beautiful online from another death doula, and she wrote, I am a mosaic of everyone I've ever loved, even for a heartbeat. It's so beautiful. It was um, written by Elua Arthur, who founded Going With Grace. And I was like, yeah, yeah. I usually say people leave thumbprints on my heart. I am everyone I come into contact with. And so right now, that family resonates the deepest and they stay with me really, really clearly because of what happened at the end of life.
1: I'm starting to realize that your involvement in this field exposes you to the enduring strength of the human spirit. What lessons or insights have emerged from your professional journey doing this work?
0: That it's okay to be sad. That it's okay to grieve as long as you need to. That it's okay to talk about your loved one. That society doesn't allow a lot of that. You know, it's, it's so important. For us to allow grievers to grieve in the way that they need to. I, again, I don't superimpose what I believe. If you're grieving, I'm keeping my mouth shut for the most part. I'm holding you and observing and allowing you to release the emotions, to allow the tears to wash you, to allow yourself to clear in that moment. So that as you clear that, it makes room for maybe a little joy. And to learn that it's okay that joy is, is okay too. It's okay to have joy. And it's okay to have sadness. Everything rides together. And strength and resiliency isn't how you stand up, it's how you fall down. It's how you fall, how you're willing to be vulnerable. And that's those are the things that I, I'm so grateful for. These, are very, these transitional spaces are very tender spaces, fraught, fraught with confusion and anger even. You know, anger, family dysfunction, everything comes to the surface at this time. So observing that and observing and also knowing that my job is to meet the space not take the space home with me because that's another thing that can can be problematic that you know in these spaces some people can get get overwhelmed by it and then be overwhelmed in their own lives my job is to come and and empathize with you come and bring compassion to you come and listen and love and and guide You know, even guiding, reminding family members about what hospice, if they have hospice, what hospice has taught them in terms of caring for their loved ones at home. You know, like watching that and knowing that I don't know anything, that I have to listen and watch and allow, allow them to have their journey. What I've also found for myself is that I can hold a lot. I am able, I mean, there's, there's something, and I, I attribute it to my meditation practice and my spiritual studies. What I've learned is that I can walk into a room that's on fire with chaos. And there's something about having my own hazmat suit on. I don't get burned. You know, I can, I can, I can fold it. And there's a quote by Emma Children too, that that's, you are as wide as the sky, you know. Where your heart is as a, is as wide as the sky and can hold all the weather.
1: Yeah. I hadn't heard that yeah. before. Thank you.
0: Yeah, you're welcome. Beautiful.
1: Well, thank you, Karen. Um, there's so much to take from this interview, and I appreciate your openness. Um, really. Sharing things that were personal, it means a lot. And I know that's not easy to to share with people. So thank you for that. I would love to have you back again sometime if you're up for it and uh, appreciate all your time.
0: I would be happy to come back. And I, I am so honored that you chose me to interview. It was so great to meet you and so great to be here today. And I'm hoping that more people join us or contact me or let me know how I can help.
1: How do they reach you?
0: Um, If you Google my name, my website will come up. My website is Karen Asconi, and then there's a hyphen, coming home together. Um, And that will lead you to me. I'm also on the Inelda website, which is a training site. Doula Givers is another website that I'm part of. Uh, With Doula Givers, the woman who founded it, Suzanne O'Brien, gives a free training. It's a 90-minute training for everyone. Her mission is to give everyone the basic training in how to care for a loved one at end of life because we're all going to do it. We're all going to be thrown into that role at some point. So she does this beautiful 90-minute training uh, that's free for every person. Uh, And I'm also on another website called Nita. I'm on David Kessler's website for grief. I'm all over. I'm everywhere. Thank you so much.